Matthew 23. Everyone's found their place. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so practice and observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do, for they preach but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter in or enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe men and dill and come in and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and in self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not take in part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all of the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of innocent Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come up upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, 
How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not see your houses left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great chapter, and we thank you for loving us so much that uh, not only have you given us your word and preserved it for us, but you have given us the living word, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who has uh, given this passage uh, himself during his earthly ministry. Oh Lord, give us the attention that we need and the focus uh, that we need, Lord, and teach us this morning uh, the, the many truths and the, the nuggets, the, the things that are, that are here in this passage that are meant for the protection and the nurture of your church. We want everything you have for us, O oh Lord, and we ask that you would give that to us liberally from your word this morning, working through your mighty Holy Spirit. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, the message that I have this morning is really, uh, it has application to everyone uh, in this room, of course, but I think it has a particular application uh, to those who are in church leadership, uh, namely uh, the pastor. Uh, so I share that with you because a lot of times some of you have said, boy, that uh, man, a couple of them comments you made, uh, you know, that was almost like, were you thinking of me when I, when I made those comments? I don't do that. I don't ever come in here thinking of any particular individual I make those comments, just for your uh, information. Uh, this morning, I think the burden, at least the if we take the Matthew 23, beginning with verse 13 to the conclusion of the chapter, uh, if we take that section as a whole, that section is really pointed at those who teach the Bible. It's applicable to all of us, but it is certainly pointed to preachers, to pastors, to those who teach um, Jesus says in verse 1 that the Pharisees were those who sat on Moses' seat. In other words, they were the teachers of the Bible at that time. And then he begins uh, chapter 23 by speaking to the crowds and the disciples, verse 1. So he's addressing his crowds and his disciples initially. And we looked at verses 1 through 12 in previous messages. Uh, but if you look down with me to verse 13, you'll see that he, at that point he begins to directly address the religious leaders of the day. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. See that? Change of address. Now, our text supplies us with a natural outline. I, I don't really see any uh, reason to reinvent the wheel here. We have a natural outline. The, uh, Jesus pronounces seven woes. And I will just, just use those uh, as an outline. That's a lot of material for one message, but I, I really can't see myself preaching a sermon series on the woes. Uh, uh, it, 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 not because they're unimportant, um, and not because I, I would shy away from preaching this passage. I'm not shy about preaching this passage at all. But um, uh, sometimes pastors can get on uh, preaching these woes and preaching uh, judgment to the harm of those who are listening to them. And uh, uh, we have to remember that it's God's kindness that leads to repentance. Um, that having been said, God gave us this passage for a reason. And it's often neglected. And we don't want to do that. If we neglect what's in these, 
in this passage, we do so at our own peril. Uh, so we don't want to shy away from these passages. I, a couple of preliminaries, and we'll get right into our text. One of the things uh, that I want to point out to you is that if you have a King James translation, or you have a New American Standard translation, or even a New King James translation, you have eight woes, not seven. And uh, you might look through here and say, wait a second, um, Rick, you got seven woes, I got eight. What's up with that? Uh, well, uh, look in the ESV, if you have an ESV, or an NIV, whatever you've got open there. Look at verse 14. And if you have a King James translation, look at verse 14. Um, I see you're all looking, and uh, there's not a lot written. If I ask you to memorize verse 14, you've got that down right now, don't you? Okay, I can handle that. That's a great scripture memory verse. Speaking of which, we skipped this morning, didn't we? Um, that's a great uh, uh, scripture memory verse, verse 14. Uh, you'll notice there's a footnote at the end of verse 13 if you're missing verse 14. If you, in the, if you look at the bottom, the, we call these margin notes. If you look at the margin notes, you'll see that it says some manuscripts add here or after verse 12, verse 14. Do you see that? And then it has a quote, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. That's the eighth woe. Uh, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers. Therefore you will receive the greater condemnation. What's going on here is uh, the best manuscripts that we have cataloged into existence do not contain this verse. It's not there. And the, the many manuscripts that are cataloged into existence that have that verse will have that verse inserted in actually a couple of different places which have led scholars to the conclusion, I think rightly so, that uh, that verse never was really in the original. Uh, it was what we call a copyist insertion. And I point that out to you because sometimes uh, people will, uh, people, folks who are skeptical of the Bible will make comments like, see that the Bible is full of discrepancies. You can't, you can't trust the Bible. It's got all kinds of discrepancies. And I want to address that uh, just by way of introduction. And first, I, I want, I'm pointing all this out to you so that you can say, listen, yeah, there, there are a few discrepancies among the original manuscripts, but a good Bible points them all out to you. The ESV is not hiding this, is it? Nor is the NIV. Uh, it's not being hidden. Uh, and secondly, there's nothing heretical about verse 14. Sometime this afternoon, write this verse down. Write Mark 12.40 down. And sometime this afternoon, look at Mark 12.40. And you'll see it's almost word for word what's inserted uh, here in verse 14 uh, in, by the King James translators and by the New King James translators and the New American Standard translators. Nothing heretical there. And thirdly, whether ver verse 14 is in the text or it's not in the text, it doesn't really change the overall meaning of this passage whether there's seven woes or there's eight woes. Uh, it's not changing the meaning of this passage. And, and um, fourthly, and most importantly, when we look at the ancient manuscripts that the Bible is translated from, the level of accuracy amongst them is astounding. Uh, there are some discrepancies here and there. They never change the overall meaning of the message, not one time. And the percentage of accuracy among these uh, ancient manuscripts is up in the 98 percentile, which is absolutely stunning considering that these things were copied by hand. Um, you didn't go down to the local Kinko's and have a couple copies made. You didn't push the copy button and things pop out of a little gray box. They had to copy this stuff uh, by hand. Um, and it's interesting that folks who 
um, study Plato, for instance, are studying a translation of a bunch of ancient manuscripts. And you know the, uh, the manuscript evidence of Plato's writings when they're all compared to one another, if my memory is serving me correctly, come in around the 60 percentile. Yet nobody complains that they're not reading Plato. Uh, so this is just a few things for your armory, uh, if, if anyone would, uh, uh, would suggest to you that the Bible is full of discrepancies. Uh, uh, don't let that rock you. The ESV is showing them all to you. The NIV is showing them all to you. Go through the margin notes of the Bible and you'll see there's nothing to that. Uh, now, with these preliminaries in mind, let's turn to our text. As I hinted earlier, there are, uh, there's a natural outline. There are seven woes here. Uh, and uh, this morning, what I would like to do is, is really take a look at these woes, really from the perspective of warnings to church leaders. Um, that's, that's the first sweep. I think we're going to spend a little more time in Matthew 23 because I've come across so many nuggets in my, in my study of Matthew 23. Just, those nuggets won't be centered on the woes of the passage. There'll be things that we gain from them. And I think we're going to look at Matthew 23 probably for another week or two. Uh, but for this morning, uh, we're going to look at it from the perspective of warnings uh, to guys like me, warnings to church uh, leaders to pastors and teachers and the application for everyone in this room is it teaches us what to be aware, to be aware of uh, it teaches us what to be aware of and what to look for if you ever see me doing things that uh, these verses are suggesting please come and talk to me love me enough to sit me down and uh, say Rick I've got a we've, we've got a problem I, I need to talk with you uh, we have to be instructed in what to look for uh, because there's a lot of false teaching out there and false systems out there. Let's look at the first one. I'm trying to find little headings that are in the text so that you, you know, if you have your own Bible with you, you could underline and uh, uh, this would help you with an outline. And uh, the, the first one is that, that these leaders are shutting the kingdom door. Uh, you, you'll see that right in the text if you look at verse 13. Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. We might think of the first one as they're shutting the kingdom of heaven uh, right in the faces of people is what they're doing. Um, that, that would be the first uh, woe, if you will. He says, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. As I've already said, the scribes and the Pharisees were the Bible teachers of the day. And they should have been teaching the way of life. Instead, what have we seen as we've studied Matthew? And I know it's been a while since we've been in Matthew, but we have seen that over and over again, they're plotting, they're trying to kill the author of life. They're plotting to kill Jesus. That's exactly what they're doing. And we know the end of the story. Uh, they're going to succeed at it. But they were the Bible teachers of the day. They should have been leading people to Jesus, Right? Well, they refused. They rejected Christ. And by rejecting Christ, they refused to enter into the kingdom of heaven themselves because Jesus is the only way into the kingdom of heaven. There is no other way. Remember, Christianity was called the way before it was ever called Christianity. It's the way. They refused to enter. They refused to come to Jesus. And as a consequence, they're teaching. What were they doing to people? They were trying to keep people away from Jesus. And by doing that, they were slamming the door shut in people's faces. There's an important lesson here for us. 
We need to be very, very careful uh, and pay very uh, careful attention to what it is that we believe. Uh, it sounds really simple, uh, but I think we need reminded of that all the time because uh, uh, oftentimes, you know, we think that, okay, if a person is sincere or a person is religious, that's all that matters. And that's, that is vehemently false. It matters what you believe. If you're doing much talking at all about uh, the things of Christ or Christ or the gospel, you're encountering people all the time that, that will have a real problem with you. So you're suggesting Jesus is the only way to heaven? I have a real problem with that. And there's lots of people out there that will have, they'll, 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 they'll have problems with that. Because they see so many people that are sincere, sincere about their faith, or who are going all these other directions. And it's commonly believed that heaven's at the top of this mountain and there's all these roads that take you up there. That's the common belief. I'm going to challenge that because the scripture challenges that. What we believe matters. It matters so much that it's the difference of life and death. What we believe is a matter of life and death. You know, because of that, what we teach is a matter of life and death. A pastor can do more damage to you than any quack doctor can or any quack surgeon. They can only mutilate your body and destroy your body. But you know what an influential false teacher can do to you? He can ruin you eternally. So we have to pay very careful attention to what we believe, which means we need to be very pay close attention to what is taught. Now, I've said this many, many times. I don't want anyone to believe anything that I'm saying unless I can show you from the Scriptures. I've said that from the very beginning of my ministry, and I pray that I'll say that to the very end. If I can't show you from the Scriptures... If it's my opinion, I will offer you my opinion, but I'll be sure to tell you, listen, this is my opinion. It's just my opinion. Be very careful what you believe. That means be very careful about what is taught to you. Right now as we speak, there are scores of false gospels being preached right now, false systems being preached right now. There are precious souls sitting under that teaching being led astray as we speak all around us everywhere. It's very sad. The second woe is so related to the first. If you look at verse 15, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. That's a, a convert, if you will, to make a single convert. And when uh, he becomes a convert, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. Now, it's a well-known fact that the Jews were not really very zealous in, in terms of evangelizing the nations. Uh, they uh, seemed to uh, either swing in one direction or the other. They would completely abstain from the nations and be separate from the nations, or they became just like them. And I'm thinking about preaching that uh, next week. Actually, that's one of the nuggets. Uh, we could go into that for a little while, but we don't have time this morning, as tempting as it is. Uh, but we'll notice that the Pharisees, they were kind of an exception to this. They were very zealous to win converts, and, and Jesus commends them, actually, uh, uh, he said they'll travel across sea and land to make a single convert. 
um, they're, they're very zealous to convert people to their system, but the problem is their system was not the gospel system. Their system was a false system. Uh, we probably all agree that there's something wrong with this world. Um, all of us being all in our present hour, all in our culture. Uh, what we disagree on is the cure. Um, I, the Bible's very clear about the cure. There's one cure. Christ Jesus, as he is offered in the gospel. And that last part that I'm, uh, that I'm saying is so important. Uh, Christ Jesus, as he is offered in the gospel. That later phrase is of utmost importance. Uh, we need Christ as he is offered to us in the gospel. Now, there are many false teachers out there today that are offering Jesus. The problem is they're not offering him as he is offered, as he is communicated, as he is revealed uh, in the gospel. And uh, uh, that means they're offering a false system. Now, what is the effects of a false system? A false system hardens the heart instead of softening it. Uh, there's only one way to soften our hearts. Our hearts are so incredibly hard that it requires a miracle. God literally has to touch our hearts in order to soften us so that we'll stop uh, from being so incessantly me-centered uh, to uh, begin to look at God and to begin the journey of becoming Christ-centered, which is indeed a journey, uh, isn't it? That me does not ever want to give up, does he? Does she? Uh, we got this me business down real good, and no one had to teach us that, did they? Uh, it requires a miracle, uh, and God works through his gospel. So if the gospel is not being preached, if there's a false system being preached, well, then the, the, the heart is not being softened. It's being hardened. And what happens is, uh, to use Jesus' terms, we become twice the children of hell as our teachers. You know, I, I, I'll give you an example of this. It's going all around us, and I, I, I could call on many examples. I'm going to call on this one just simply because I've been hearing about it lately, an example of the doctrine called purgatory. Uh, here's a classic example of a false system. Purgatory teaches that after this life, if there's some sins that have not been atoned for for whatever reason, then uh, uh, We'll have to suffer in this particular place called purgatory for so many years in order to atone uh, for our sins. Uh, listen, folks, that's not just a little bit off. Uh, that is a completely false system. It challenges the very atonement of Christ. When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, was it finished or wasn't it finished? Is Jesus the Savior? Or isn't he the Savior? It's a direct attack against Christ and against his uh, atoning work on the, on the cross. Uh, this is not just a little bit off. Now, if I were to preach this, if I were to preach purgatory, here's what I would be proving. I would be proving, one, I don't understand Jesus as he is offered in the gospel. I don't understand the atonement. And if I don't understand the atonement, if I don't understand how Jesus is being offered in the gospel, I don't understand the gospel. And if I don't understand the gospel, I can't preach the gospel. So what am I preaching? I'm preaching a false system. And what will happen to you if I do that? That glow that's in many of your eyes, 
And mind you, I've been watching it increase over the last few months, and that's very exciting. You know what will happen to that glow? It'll begin to dim. Why? Because if I'm teaching that, I am leading you away from Christ. I may be leading you to things that are holy and things that are wonderful, but I will be leading you away from the arms of the Savior to something else. And what will happen? What happens? As we're led away from the Lord, what happens? Our hearts harden. And the gospel is not optional. The gospel, Jesus, has to be preached as he is offered uh, in uh, the, the gospel itself. Uh, so these teachers are hardening their converts because they're preaching a false system. So much more could be said about that. The third uh, woe that Jesus, that Jesus speaks about is, is the nullification or nullifying God's commands with clever distinctions. Um, if you think of uh, uh, creative loopholes, I think would probably what I should have named this uh, in hindsight. Uh, they were very clever, making clever uh, loopholes. Look with me to verse uh, 16. Jesus says, if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. See, there's a distinction being made there. The distinction is between the temple and the gold. And interestingly enough, notice they consider the gold greater than the temple. You see that? Gold's greater than the temple. That's interesting, isn't it? And then verse 18, they're doing the same thing between the altar and the gift. Uh, Jesus, uh, his complaint is if anyone swears by the altar, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that's on the altar, he's bound. Uh, a false distinction between the altar and the sacrifice that's on the altar, the gift. Uh, um, what they were doing was they were saying, okay, you know, if I swear by the temple, I could get out of it. But if I swear by the gold, uh, you better keep that promise. Uh, or if I swear by the altar, eh, we can wiggle out of that. But if I swear by the gift that's on the altar, well, you better... You better keep that one. It's almost like when we're kids and we're making promises and we got our hand behind our back. If you have your hand behind your back and you got your fingers crossed, then uh, that one doesn't matter. Does anybody remember that from, uh, from childhood? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I remember that being the big, you know, yeah, fingers crossed, I don't have to keep that promise. You remember those days? Uh, these are the Bible teachers doing this. I swear by the temple, not the, not the gold that was on it. What's Jesus saying here? Verse 20 to 22, whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. These folks thought they were getting out of stuff. They're, they're making these promises before the presence of Almighty God. Uh, swearing by the the temple and by the altar and then breaking those promises. Um, we uh, could do well to take a leaf out of Matthew chapter 5 and verse 37 where Jesus says, listen, it's way better simply just to let yes be yes and no be no. Uh, pretty good advice there given from the king. Um, so they nullified God's commands with these false, clever uh, distinctions. Fourthly, they neglect weightier 
matters. If you look at verse 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and come in and have neglected the weightier matters. That's where I'm getting the, trying to stick with the Bible so you can see the outlines for yourself. The weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. Uh, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. We see from this text that these leaders would meticulously tithe the spices that they would put on their salad. You know, I'm going to use a little bit of pepper and I'm going to give up 10% of it. And uh, I'm going to use a little bit of, uh, of uh, whatever salad dressing, a little bit of Italian there. We need a little dish so we can give some of that. It's, uh, um, they're, not, um, they're actually commended for that. Um, but uh, the problem with that is they're tithing 10% of their salad dressing, but uh, many of them were using little loopholes and clever distinctions to get out of taking care of their aged parents. Sorry, Mom. Sorry, Dad. I'd like to help you with uh, some of the finances that they're all tied up. I've given them to God. And in the meantime, they still had access to them. You remember when we studied those passages? Uh, they're in Matthew somewhere. I don't recall the chapter and verse number. but um, Jesus says, you guys are like... Uh, those who uh, strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Now, what would they have understood by that phrase? Well, the, the rabbis would strain their wine uh, to be sure that there were no gnats. Uh, they weren't doing it because they thought gnats were gross. Maybe they did think gnats were gross, but gnats were unclean. But is a camel a clean animal? It's a camel is ceremonially unclean. You see, Jesus is kind of using some humor there, isn't he? You're straining out the gnats, and you're dining on a camel. Um, he's not saying that the, the small matters are unimportant. We don't want to come from this text with that. Oh, it doesn't matter. We do the little things. No, the little things are important. But we don't want to use the little things to get out of doing the big things. Uh, do we do this kind of thing today? Uh, James Boyce has a great quote on that. He answers that question this way, quote, we do these things today if we allow small points of theology or religious practice to crowd out the pursuit of justice for every human being showing mercy to the poor and helpless and being faithful to God and living for and serving Him. So if we come up with some little theological little something or another that gets us out of feeding the poor or gets us out of... Uh, doing something that's very we're very clearly called to do, then we're guilty of this very thing. Neglect of the weightier matters. Uh, the fifth thing is they clean the outside and they neglect the inside. If you look at verse 25, uh, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Um, that's a, a pretty powerful analogy, isn't it? Imagine uh, not uh, washing your dishes, washing the outside of the bowl, or leaving the inside with the food and stuff in it, stacking it back in the cupboard. Uh, it's pretty nasty, isn't it? Um, well, the, the gospel... Uh, when it is preached and the Holy Spirit works in the heart of a person, uh, we are changed not from the outside in, uh, we are changed from the inside out. That's how it works. You want to know if God's working in your life? Well, look at the inside. Is it being changed? Uh, if it's being changed, uh, yes, God is working. Um, he's, he's definitely working. 
if you preach a false system, there's no way to fix the inside. It's not going to get fixed. And, you know, we are capable with a little bit of discipline of doing all kinds of things to make ourselves look better. In fact, we do a lot of that stuff on our own without any help from the Scriptures. We're all pretty... uh, We we all have a a premium on how we look on the outside. Uh, And external changes can take place simply from the Word being preached. When I was at Columbiana County Jail, I was out there... uh, I wasn't in Columbiana County Jail, by the way. When I was teaching at Columbiana County Jail, I want to make sure we get the tape right here. Uh, we getting all kind of emails, you know. We didn't ever know you were incarcerated. I was not incarcerated. I was doing ministry at Columbiana County Jail. Um, um, one, one morning when I went out to, the, uh, to, to do the service, and I would do three services every other Sunday out there, the, one of the correction officers called me aside, and he had some paperwork. And uh, he, the warden had asked him to show this to me, and they kept c- close count on who the inmates were who came to the services. And uh, they noticed a dramatic change in the behavior of those inmates who attended the services versus those who did not. Uh, dramatic change. Uh, he had some kind of percentage. They had some way of figuring a percentage of that. And uh, they, they, you know, they, were just, they were just really, really happy. And I wanted to share that. And that was a great encouragement to me. Now, do I think that all of these men and women had come into a state of grace? No way. No way. I do think a few of them did during that period of time. I don't know what has become of them since then. What was happening? One of the things that God's Word does is curbs behavior. I mean, as we've taken God's Word down out of the courtrooms, as we've rid uh, God's Word as best we could out of our culture, our culture is run amok. Uh, you put God's Word back into our culture, and a lot of the behavior that's taking place will be curbed. Um, the outside will change. Um, we can make all kinds of changes to the outside. Now, only God can change the inside, and He does it through the gospel. But if you've got a false system, you're just going to have a bunch of changes uh, on the outside, and uh, uh, you're going to be uh, neglecting. Uh, your, your heart is just going to continually gr- grow harder and harder and harder until it's unreachable. The promise of the gospel is a promise for a new heart. Ezekiel 36, verse 26 and 27, God's promise, I'll give you a new heart. I'm going to give you a new heart, a new spirit I'll put within you, and I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh. I'll give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you, cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. God does this through His gospel. You take the gospel out of the preaching. You take the gospel out of Sunday services, out of Wednesday nights. Take the gospel out. This will not happen. We'll get harder and harder and harder. We'll become so hard that we'll be unreachable. It'll happen every time. The sixth, I better move on here. The sixth is uh, these men were not what they appear to be. Uh, these leaders, uh, Jesus uh, pronounces his sixth woe in verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful. Notice that word. You can make all kinds of changes outside. We're capable of doing that. 
but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. My goodness, is that, a, is that a, an image? So also outwardly you appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. These, liter, these leaders were not what they appeared to be. Uh, they appeared to be holy men. They appeared to be highly esteemed by the people. How did Christ view them? How did he view their hearts? As dead people. As, as dead people walking, full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Um, as I read these words, I think, uh, I, I tremble at them all, but I really tremble at this one. You know, if I can be candid with you, um, I, you know, I, I probably share this with all of you. I kind of like to appear to be better than I am. Now, do I have any company here? I have a sneaking suspicion I'm not alone. Um, sometimes I'll get compliments, and uh, sometimes people, and I, you know, I, I don't want them to stop. They encourage me. I, I know that I'm doing something right when I get one. But once in a while, I'll get a compliment, and it'll be when I'm really, uh, really convicted of a particular thing that I've been doing, and along will come this compliment, and I'll be thinking, oh my goodness. Uh, I appear to other people way, way better than I really am. Way better. Now, some of you are getting to know me pretty well, and uh, uh, I, I don't appear so fine to you anymore. Uh, you're getting to know me, and that's quite all right. I am a sinner like everyone else in this room, and this, this one causes me really to tremble. Um, what's the difference? Is Jesus pronouncing a woe against me? The devil would like me to think so. There's a fundamental difference, though. The difference is I have Jesus. I'm not rejecting him. It's one of the things I was thinking about when I was praying this morning, and I said, well, let's, just, let's take a minute and let's confess our sins together. These men have rejected Jesus. They have no recourse to do anything about the filth that's in the inside because they've rejected the only cure for that. If you're in Christ Jesus, you're going to feel this way sometimes. You're going to feel all filthy. And the reason you're going to feel that way is because you are all filthy. I feel this way sometimes because I am filthy. But here's the fundamental difference. I go to Jesus with that filth and I don't hold anything from him. If we will confess our sins, he is righteous and just to do what? Forgive us and cleanse us of all this unrighteousness. And really, quite frankly, it's in those moments where we really begin to come in touch with the grace of God. That's where we see his wonderful grace. He knows we're filthy all the way through. Yet he died in our place and took that filth upon his perfect soul so that he could wash us and cleanse us. That's a pretty fundamental difference, isn't it? Uh, a pretty fundamental difference. But again, without the gospel, this doesn't happen. What you believe really matters. What you're taught really matters. And that brings us to the last of the woes, the seventh woe, uh, beginning with verse 29. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous. 
saying, if we had lived in the days of our father, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. Verse 33, notice that, it's uh, strong language. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town. I think this is some of the strongest language that we have uh, recorded uh, that Jesus uh, shared during his earthly ministry. And what is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying, listen, I've sent true messengers to you folks over and over again, and you've persecuted them all. And when you're done with me, I will send more uh, true messengers, true gospel messengers, true men of God, true women of God, and you're going to persecute them. That's what you're going to do. And uh, those of you who have read the book of Acts, what happens? What happens to most of the apostles? All of the apostles. Uh, they're persecuted. What happens to the disciples? They're persecuted. What's been going on ever since? Every Sunday I try to remember to to pray for the persecuted church all around this world. There's places where men and women and children are having terrible things done to them simply because they believe in Jesus. That's what persecution is. It's when we suffer because of our faith in Christ. We suffer because we care about the glory of God. That's what persecution is. And it's been going on uh, ever since. When I was uh, in seminary, I had a professor that was, uh, he was a really, so he could make it as a stand-up comedian, this guy. He was from New Jersey, and he, uh, he, had to, he could do the gangster thing real good. He had that, uh, that New Jersey, uh, New York uh, accent, and uh, the guy was, uh, he was fun to have in lectures because he was so comical, and you never knew what he was going to say. Uh, but uh, he, he was referring to one of the largest churches in our land, one morning. Uh, the church in Lakewood, I think it's in Lakewood, Texas, where Joel Osteen is pastor. And uh, he made a comment one morning. He said, if you went in there and you preached the gospel, you would clear everyone but the front row. And uh, I, I rarely said anything when I was in, some of you heard this story before, I rarely said anything when I was in seminary. I was very quiet and I just sat and listened, but this come out of my mouth before I could, I could even do anything. And I, I yelled out, that's fine, I'll take the front row. <laughs> there would be about 500 people in the church. <laughs> but what was he saying? He was saying that there was no temperament there for the true gospel. You know, the Apostle Paul says the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Uh, having done pulpit supply in all kinds of churches throughout the valley, I'll tell you what I think would happen if you went into Lakewood, Texas and preached the gospel. You want to know what I think would happen? I think they would all remain seated and you'd get kicked out on your can. That's what I think would happen. There's no temperament for that. There's no temperament for it. No. That's what has to change. You see, we'll gather the wrong kind of teachers unless our temperament is changed. Well, both of these things have to work in concert. 
I used to think, you go down up and down the road and you see churches, many of them that are dying, there's just a few people left in them. I think, if you just go in there and preach the gospel, uh, things would be great. And in some cases, that is the case. Uh, but too often, I, I've been involved with these things, and you go in and you preach the gospel, and I'll tell you what, there's only a few people in there, but they'll all pick a club up and chase you right out the back door. Now, I'm not trying to be harsh here, but that's the reason they're dying. It, it will always die if there's no gospel. Uh, it, it often will die very slowly, but it will always, always die. So much more could be said. But I want to conclude this morning by looking at the, uh, uh, the heart of Jesus because he reveals it in verses 37 and 38. Look there with me, if you will. What does Jesus say there? He says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. Do you, do you hear the tenor of that? Uh, I, I, I think I can see Jesus with his eyes all wet, you know, as he says that. Um, How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not and see your house is left to you desolate. I think he was crying when he said this. And this is really important. There, there are some preachers out there who will preach this kind of stuff, the judgment and condemnation, and though we don't know their hearts, but we have a sneaking suspicion that they kind of enjoy that kind of thing. Uh, and uh, that's the wrong way to communicate this and to preach this stuff. Um, if our heart isn't burdened for the lost, I don't think we have any business uh, in Matthew 23. I think we have lots of business in Matthew 23 personally. I don't think we have any business sharing Matthew 23 with anyone else with that cold pointed finger uh, of judgment towards other people. Have, have we stopped and thought about what this judgment involves? Uh, it is awful. Do we really want that on any individual under the sun? Do we really want that to happen uh, to anyone? Uh, the answer, I hope, is no. Uh, so th there should be tears as this is, as this is preached and as this is, uh, is taught. What we believe matters and because what we believe matters what we teach matters and uh, our scripture memory verse by the way is woe to me if I do not preach the gospel I aim that at me uh, please keep me in check uh, from time to time if you ever think that I'm stepping to the left or to the right uh, we we all have to work together on this amen Heavenly Father Lord, we thank you for this teaching and how rich and how really how, how wonderful it is, O oh Lord. But we do tremble as we come to these, these proclamations of judgments, Lord, that you proclaimed all those years ago that still apply to, uh, to all of us today, but especially to those in church leadership, O oh Lord. We, we tremble before these words and we pray, Lord, for your grace as our leadership grows here at Tri-State Community Church, Lord, that... Uh, Matthew 23, verses 13 and following would be a passage that, is, uh, that we're well acquainted with. And uh, Lord, I, I pray for the, 
the, the spiritual welfare of everyone in this room, everybody represented by this ministry, that, Lord, you would give them a, a very, very uh, a good discernment in terms of who they should listen to and who they shouldn't listen to. And I pray, O oh Lord, you will protect your church, O oh Lord, from false teaching and false systems. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand. Um, our closing hymn is actually on the insert of your bulletin. Rock and